0: So hello everyone and welcome to our quarterly podcast. A happy new year to everybody. I'm Helen Watson, CEO of the UK Wealth Management Business. And I'm joined today by our Global Investment Strategist, Victor Balfour, and our Co-Head of Portfolio Management, Hugo K. Today we will be discussing the last three months of macro market and portfolio activity and reviewing 2023 overall. So Victor, at the beginning of last year, it really Mm. did not look like it would be a great environment for markets. Interest rates were rising. Bond yields were also rising and many commentators were talking about an imminent recession. It would have been understandable to have cut weightings to risk assets such as equities. I think lots of people were calling for that. Mm. Um, This would have been a terrible mistake, as it turns (laughs) out, particularly in the US, which was uh, very strong. So why were we more positive?
1: I mean, look, you're absolutely right, Helen, you know, 12 short months ago, inflation was, you know, close to double digits, partly driven by very elevated gas prices, you know, and of course, interest rates, as you mentioned, were rising, you know, really sharply in response. And of course, this was prompting some very pessimistic kind of projections, you know, an economic emergency loomed um, as far as some commentators were concerned. And of course, markets responded in kind, you know, stocks and bonds fell nearly a fifth in 2022. So it was sort of very challenging all around. Mm -hmm. Of course, we had a more balanced view. We felt that growth could continue um, and restructuring portfolios away from risk assets you know, wasn't the, the right call at the time. And I think there are a couple of reasons for thinking this. First, there's sort a of downward trajectory for inflation, uh, and the second point is really about the kind of impact that interest rates were going to have in the near term. I mean, at the time we felt household spending power, you know, the backbone of the economy uh, was poised to get a boost from falling energy prices. You know they were definitely trending lower at the time, yeah. and also we were going to get another boost in the form of of improved real pay. You know as inflation started to fade more sharply. And in terms of the interest rate threat, I, you know, I think I think we felt that many businesses and households, you know, they'd refinance their debt. You know, through the pandemic period lower interest rates and for longer crucially and few would be kind of immediately exposed if you like to those higher interest rates and of course as things are turning out you know 2023 is going to look like a relatively benign year at least from a macroeconomic standpoint you know, we've had above average growth in the most important economy mm-hmm. the US uh, and even for the big European economies and of course the UK you know the fears of a big downturn have been avoided we've seen actually growth continue uh, and sort of broadly broadly flattened in some areas and of course inflation, on both sides of the Atlantic is looking as if as, as it may have largely been transient after all, um, mm-hmm. so a pretty staggering turn of events. Of course that more resilient growth backdrop is of course in stark contrast to, yeah. contrast, excuse me, to the geopolitical landscape which of course is intensified uh, in recent months.
0: I mean it's it's been a better year for investors overall but a bit of the chunk, well a bit, I mean a chunk <laughs> of the positive returns really came in the final quarter of the year. What what really happened to spark that?
1: Well. So 2023 was almost a kind of mirror image of 2022, if you like. You know, this past year, stock markets have responded very vigorously to that kind of better than expected economic backdrop. You know, global equities were up a little over a fifth. Uh, Bonds were also up, uh, somewhat less remarkable, close to 4%. Commodity space, it was a bit more mixed. We saw gold up 13%. Oil prices were down 13%. Um, And of course, in currencies, the dollar also moved lower. And of course, correspondingly, we saw sterling uh, and euro trace some of their, their weakness from 2022. But to your question, you know, I think a lot of the positive performance really came in that final quarter, mm. you know, the final kind of two months of the year, to be to be precise. You know, if you take fixed income, you know, yields have been steadily climbing through this year. You know, we saw the ten-year Treasury yield, the ten-year gilt, the sort of longer dated yields. They rose about a hundred basis points over the course of that those first sort of ten months of the year. In turn, sort of bondholders faced the sort of prospect of a third consecutive year underwater. You know, a losing streak we probably haven't seen. For several decades. And even for equity investors through to the end of October, you know, the average stock market return was down if you're looking at the kind of big MSCI world return. Um, but if you're looking at the sort of more conventional cap weighted index, which sort of weights companies according to their size, it was up nearly a tenth. And I think this speaks to what has been a very narrowly led market. Mm. You know, The US, its richly valued technology juggernauts, the sort of magnificent seven, if you want to call them that, um, have really been in the driving seat this year. Ultimately, both stocks and bonds rallied sharply in those final two months of the year. Those benchmark ten-year yields actually ended the year at or below where they started it. It was the best two-month return we've seen for government bonds. I was say, it's quite yeah. remarkable. Yeah, in, in 15 years or so. Um, and as for stocks, you know, we did see kind of participation broaden as well in the final couple of months. You know, other regions were performing better. We saw smaller companies start to outperform cyclical parts of the market. Uh, do quite well. It wasn't just about kind of technology and growth. However, you know, I think we need to be clear that for the full year, you know, U.S. stocks have been firmly at the top of the leaderboard, up 26% this past year. And even more remarkable is that those seven tech stocks, which have more than doubled collectively this past year, accounted for about 40% of the overall amazing, market return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Statistically, yes, it that's a bit of an aberration.
0: Yeah, extraordinary, isn't
1: it? <laughs> mm.
0: So on that note, let's move on to the portfolios, Hugo. Uh, Victor's given this sort of top-down view as one of the portfolio managers how how did you sort of navigate what was turned out to be a good year but you know didn't always look like it was going mm. to
2: well exactly I mean, if we had perfect foresight and we knew <laughs> if, only. On, <laughs> if only if we had if we knew on the 1st of January last year that inflation would stay stubbornly high for most of the year so above 5% through to September and at multi decades high if we knew that interest rates would rise from 3.5% to five and quarter percent and for the increase to be one of the fastest on record, and that geopolitical tensions would remain elevated with the war in Ukraine ongoing, Chinese-US relations deteriorating, and then most recently the grim developments in the Middle East. If we'd known all of that, would we have predicted a positive market no. outcome <laughs> and a strong one at that? No. Yeah. As it is, and as Victor said, global equity markets returned 21% in local terms, 9% of which came in the final quarter. Yeah. And UK bonds returned 3.5%. Sterling balance portfolio returned 12%. This is just another reminder that short term market timing is Absolutely. so difficult yeah. and not something that we engage with for, we think, good uh, reasons. The reason we remain positive and fully in- invested in equities is that we reconcile the top-down view from our strategy team with what we're observing on a bottom-up basis. In other words, what we're hearing on the ground. Mm -hmm. So we keep a close eye on the operating performance of the underlying businesses. And we think about the prospective returns from them as investments and over horizons longer than one year. And we felt that the outlook for forward returns was actually attractive and that the businesses were navigating higher interest rates without too many issues. Ultimately, we were prepared to look through some of the macroeconomic and political noise and stick with companies that were performing well.
0: You mentioned that the sterling balance portfolios were up about 12 percent, obviously a very positive return, particularly given the backdrop. Can you recap just uh, in terms of different currencies for the portfolios, how they performed in the final quarter, but also how they performed in 2023 as a whole?
2: Yes, so, so as usual, these numbers are for the balanced portfolios mm-hmm. and their new core fund equivalents. So for sterling portfolios, these are up around six percent uh, for the quarter, which left them up around 12 percent for the year. For dollar portfolios, these are up around eight percent for the quarter, mm-hmm. leaving them up around 15 and a half percent for the year. And finally, the euro portfolios are up around five and a half percent for the quarter, leaving them up around 12.5% for the year, slightly ahead of the sterling ones. As is usually the case, the differences in performance mainly relate to currency movements. Mm -hmm. So the dollar had recovered most of its losses in the third quarter, but then weakened again towards the end of the year.
0: Yeah, right. When we actually sort of analyze the portfolios, Hugo, what, what have the main performance drivers really been and how have the return assets performed and the diversifiers kind of as individual portions of the portfolio?
2: Yeah, but if I take the sterling balance portfolios as the example, most of the returns came from the return assets, the equities. This is what we'd anticipate in a good year for markets. However, it was notable that bonds swung sharply from being a detractor uh, to performance to a contributor during the final quarter of the year. Uh, the return assets themselves overall outpaced broader world markets last year and we're a bit surprised by this given, and I know I've talked about this in previous podcasts and Victor's mentioned it, how narrowly driven the market returns were by the so-called Magnificent Seven mega cap stocks, so Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, etc. Given that backdrop, what were the biggest contributors to performance? Amongst our strongest performers in 2023 were the travel-related holdings, people were, were traveling again, so Ryanair. Uh, up 56%, Booking up 76%, Uh, Booking's results in 2023 benefited from strong demand for travel and higher hotel prices. The company also delivered market share gains, particularly in the US where they took share off Expedia. These gains reflect the company's investment in its brands, which have in turn reduced customer acquisition costs and increased customer loyalty with direct mobile app bookings now exceeding 50% of all bookings. Picking up on some of the other strong performers, Admiral Stock was up 31%. Uh, as we had expected, claims inflation is now feeding through into higher motor insurance premiums. Definitely seen that. Yes. <laughs> um, Constellation Software, another strong performer, up 59%. The serial acquirer of smaller vertical market software businesses continues to positively surprise the market with solid revenue growth and continued acquisition strength. Uh, Microsoft, uh, which is the only one of the magnificent seven owned directly in portfolios, rose 53%. To put this into context, it added a staggering trillion dollars to its market cap in 2023. So relative to the total size of the FTSE 100, uh, this is about 40% of the of the FTSE 100 added by one stock over the course of 2020.
0: Might say more about the FTSE 100 than, <laughs> than Microsoft possibly, true, but true. yeah.
2: Um, and this is partly on the back of the potential for greater revenue mm. um, opportunities coming from from AI. Uh, Linda was up 28%. So whilst not one of the top performing stocks in 2023, deserves a mention for its 23% compound return over the last five years. So this is a total r- return over this period of 185% comparing to the S&P 500, the US index of 107. So it just illustrates that mm-hmm. you can make very strong returns from old in- industrials too.
0: Especially when that S&P return has been driven by tech.
2: Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, and one of the funds, the Phoenix UK fund, returned 41% and registered a new high for its NAV. The fund benefited from strong performance from their position in Barrick Development, up 50%, uh, Fraser's Group, 28%, and Hotel Chocolat, which is up 106%. Uh, Hotel Chocolat is worth a mention. So the Phoenix team got to know Hotel Chocolat before uh, it came onto the market in 2015, but they did not invest at that stage, as they didn't think the price offered enough margin of safety they stayed patient and they got an opportunity to invest in the summer of 2022 when the share price fell to £1.14 having floated at £1.48 and reached a high of £4 and then family-owned Mars bid for the company Mm -hmm. recently at £3.75.
0: So lots of things that worked Hugo, which is great uh tell us about the things that didn't work quite so well.
2: Um, So the cable stocks uh, have Mm -hmm. been a different area. So Cable One's share price declined nearly 21% and follows on from a difficult 2022. Mm -hmm. Actually, the share price move is in contrast to the performance of the other cable holdings, Charter, which is up 14.5%, and Comcast, which is up over 28%. So why is that? Well, the main reason we can think of is that Cable One is a small cap. It's a $3 billion market cap, and small caps in general have struggled. In 2023, I mean the Magnificent Seven are the biggest, and mm-hmm. the smallest haven't done well. Sure. Uh, at the current valuation of six times EV to EBITDA, Cable One's trading at approximately half the multiple of where private equity deals have recently taken place in the industry, and these are for inferior assets. Uh, in our view, we do note though that all of the cable players in the US have struggled to grow broadband subs recently. And this is due to a pull forward of demand during COVID when sub-growth nearly doubled from the rate before COVID, a lower level of house moves and a top macro environment, and increased competition, particularly from 5G players such as T-Mobile, which have effectively taken all of the industry growth in the last 18 months or so. And it's the latter which we're watching carefully. And our current view is that the 5G and fixed um, wireless access has taken the low hanging fruit of customers, five to 6% market share, and that much higher levels of market share will be harder to come by given uh, growing data usage. So we remain confident on the on the cable companies, but they have been a tough area. Mm. Eurofins, um, the lab testing company uh, was down 11% and the industry had a tough 2023. In the case of Eurofins, one of their key segments, food testing, had to weather reduced product innovation from the manufacturers, that the actual food makers were, were, were cutting back on the amount of innovating, and that impacted volumes. Another key segment, pharma and biotech, also had the slowdown, you know, partly because of overhangs from the pandemic. The remaining sector, environmental testing, was a bit stronger. But with Europeans, we think that the market's focusing too much on the cyclical and not enough on the secular. Testing is a fact of life. And we can see reasons for all three end markets to be strong over time. Food manufacturers will need to start innovating again. The pharma sector will need new tests to go hand Mm -hmm. in hand with new treatments. And for the environmental side, we suspect that we'll be hearing a lot more about PFAS, P-F-A-S, which are also called forever chemicals uh, and other pollutants. And the final thing that was a a bit weak on the stock side was deer down 5.5%. We weren't that surprised to see deer pull, pull back a bit last year. So deer is, is one that we view as a long-term cyclical winner. And our view of their leading position in the agricultural space was only reinforced when we attended the biggest US farm show uh, in the autumn in Illinois. However, we acknowledged that the share price had perhaps run up too far in 2022, mm-hmm. when it was the top performer. And we trimmed the position three times in that year. And we, we were opportunistically you know, buy the stock back on further price weakness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one that we think is a long term winner and, and has a keen focus on shareholder value creation.
0: So, quite a dispersion of performance um, with some very strong individual uh, contributions, obviously. I note that overall the stocks and the equity funds outpaced the World Equity Index last year.
2: That's right. So, uh, in aggregate, they're around two and a half percent of the world. ahead, ahead of, of the, it. Yeah. ahead of the World yeah. Index. So that's
0: great. Not that we look at it that way, but always good to know. Um, How about the diversifiers? How did they perform?
2: So they rose half a percent in the final quarter and essentially flat for the year. And when we look at the key drivers, so bonds, having been a drag earlier in the year as yields were rising, had a much better fourth quarter as inflation and interest rate expectations sharply improved. So the bonds and cash collectively added about uh, 1% to portfolio mm-hmm. returns overall. The alternative strategy, so the trend followers and the Saba Fund had a tougher year, and they cost around 0.3% um, from, from performance. And the big delta there was Saba, which fell 17.5% as credit spreads tightened. And this move felt counterintuitive to us, and so we added to the position in September. And the protection strategies, so the Acura funds and the put options, which act as portfolio insurance, cost uh, 0.6%. More than half of this loss came in the fourth quarter, and it's exactly what we would anticipate in sharply rising markets. And we don't mind sharply rising markets. Yeah,
0: Um, so lots of moving parts. But the main thing, I guess, it really is a rebound in bond markets as inflation fears sort of receded somewhat. In terms of portfolio activity, what did you do over the last three months? Um, I'm not asking what you were doing every day over the last three months Um, and the main changes that you uh, that you had for the year.
2: Um, um, So after three years of heightened portfolio activity, particularly around the pandemic, Mm -hmm. 2023 was more subdued. The major change was adding duration, so buying longer dated bonds in the portfolio, mainly buying nominal bonds, as we saw bond yields rise, particularly in the summer. So we ended the year with around 18% of the portfolio Mm -hmm. in bonds, both nominal bonds and inflation linked. With a portfolio duration at just under two years, against sort of one and a half years at the beginning of 2023, and actually back in 2021 mm. when bonds yielded almost nothing, we had almost no 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 duration.
0: And that, Hugo, I think you and I have been here not a dissimilar amount of time. Would be the highest waiting we've had to bonds since either of us have been here.
2: Yes, and
0: which know, is 14 or 15 years. It, it is, <laughs> yeah, and
2: you know having yielded nothing they started mm-hmm. yielding something and we bought them and so in, in many senses it's, it's not rocket science
0: yeah okay and return assets
2: so we added uh, one new position in the railroad canadian pacific kansas city quite a mouthful we yeah. call it cpkc we also have, a mouthful <laughs> <laughs> we have been aware of opportunities in the north american railroad sector for some time having looked at the industry a few years ago and having had some exposure to burlington northern santa fe yeah via our holding in Berkshire Hathaway. We began to look more closely at CPKC given that a significant merger was being finalized. Mm -hmm. We added to Microsoft early in the year when the price looked attractive to us at uh, $260. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of the year, the valuation looked more stretched to us and so we reduced the position at $370. and That was after they'd added a trillion dollars to their market cap. Uh, We reduced exposure to some of the larger positions and where the valuations were arguably getting richer, so Moody's, S&P, Constellation uh, Software, and we added to the CPKC and to Eurofins. Mm
0: -hmm. And diversifiers?
2: So with lower pricing, so as volatility fell and interest rates rose, Mm -hmm. put options became more attractive. and We spent circa 55 basis points, so 0.55%, on put options in 2023. Mm-hmm. This compares to a total of 0.2% over the previous two years, when we argued that this type of portfolio protection was expensive. Yeah. Uh, we added one half percent to the trend followers in early June, and as I mentioned earlier, we, we topped up the SABA funds by 0.3% in September.
0: Um, you mentioned the different slight differences in performance coming from currency. Did you change the currency positioning at all?
2: Well, currency moves, particularly for sterling, were, were a major topic of conversation in 2022, as the cable, so the the dollar sterling rate, uh, fell below 1.03 at one point. Um, I remember that well, and that was the time that we had the Truss and Quartet budget. <laughs> However, yeah. little was said last year as we saw it move. Back above 131 in early summer, and read anything in the the newspapers, and end the year at 127. We actually made no changes to the currency approach and Mm -hmm. to our currency positioning. So, for sterling balance portfolios, we maintain a large dollar hedge of around 29%. And mainly, this is to offset US dollar exposure that we get from the bonds uh, and from funds like SABA and the Abbey Focus Fund where we're looking to buy those funds, we aren't looking to buy dollars. Yeah, um, And really this is to keep the net exposure to sterling in the 60 to 70% range.
0: Great. Um, so coming back to you, Victor, in terms of the economic outlook, are we still comfortable
1: with the shape, of, comfortable, hmm. with the shape of the business cycle? I mean, the short answer is yes. Uh, you know, we're still seeing this sort of relatively favorable mix of kind of ongoing growth um, and dis- alongside kind of disinflation, as I mentioned earlier. That's not to say we won't see some sort of interest rate driven sort of indigestion ahead. But I think our, our view is that a sort of big recession is neither necessary nor inevitable. Um, you know, generally, economic surprises are still pretty positive across the major kind of developed blocks. Um, certainly, we look at things like the business surveys, very timely indicators of uh, of activity. You know, these have been stabilizing for the most part. And importantly, this sort has of lagged hard data, this sort of output data generally is generally quite resilient. You know, there's still some patchy weakness in Europe, particularly Germany, and perhaps in the UK. But the US, you know, which still matters the most, appears to be expanding at a kind of trend like two and a half percent into the end of the year. Yeah. And I think the important thing is that labor markets are still very tight across the developed world. And ultimately, what this means is that consumers, for the most part, can continue spending, perhaps partly underpinned by you know, pay growth, which is pretty much outpacing inflation at the moment. So as it stands, I think, you know, we think that growth can continue for now and of course, inflation. And continue to fade as well
0: so I guess what what does that mean for your level of confidence about the investment outlook as we go
1: into 2024
0: crystal ball <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think constructive rather than confident right. is probably a better way to frame it I think there are a couple of things that probably give us some encouragement I think the first thing is the trajectory for interest rates which is lower, mm-hmm. uh, and also the corporate earnings backdrop, which seems to be sort of stabilizing. Uh, the kind of corporate profits are seem to be moving higher. This year or are poised to move higher. You know, in terms of <clears throat> interest rates, you know we've reached the end of the tightening cycle. Or it seems to be the case. You know inflation has obviously gradually kind of normalised over twenty twenty three, and we think this will continue, albeit in somewhat lumpy fashion uh, as we go through this year. Markets, of course, have turned their attention to the timing the mm-hmm. magnitude of the easing cycle in terms of what's priced in they've probably become a little over optimistic in their assessment i think probably gotten ahead of themselves a little bit ultimately the trajectory for interest rates later this year is lower not higher mm-hmm. uh, and if we see them fall those interest rates even modestly alongside ongoing growth then you know the stock market is capable of trending higher um, and in terms of the, the kind of earnings piece i think you know corporate profits were broadly flat last year kind of stagnant but you know, second to third quarter probably likely marked the low point at least for now, mm-hmm. and earning estimates for this year are kind of tracking in the sort of ten to twelve percent range, which is uh, seems like a pretty pretty decent rebound ahead for us. I think kind of wrapping this together, our <clears throat> excuse me, our top down view looking into this year is that that kind of tug of war between interest rates and growth, the kind of policy growth trade off, remains constructive for risk assets. Stocks and bonds have lost a little bit of headroom, valuation headroom in recent months, but they remain inexpensive overall. And I think both from our side seem capable of delivering inflation beating returns ahead, although perhaps more decisively Mm. uh, in the case of of stocks.
0: Good. So Hugo, we're in a new year with a fresh pair of eyes that you get given on the 1st of January. Um, What's getting you excited in the portfolio?
2: My eyes might be fresh, uh, but uh, 2023 showed that it's not, not always fresh ideas that can deliver the best performance. A number of the strongest returns came from stocks that have been held for a number of years, but where the businesses continue to get stronger and stronger. A good example would be the ratings agencies, so Moody's and S&P. So in a sense, very old businesses, but mm. with an incredible wealth of data. And the market is waking, waking up to all of the fresh opportunities that bringing new tech, such as AI, uh, to this data will uh, bring. So we still see plenty of runway in the existing portfolio. And I've mentioned some neglected areas of the market before. And some of these seem to be offering better value than ever. An example of this are the two Albizia funds, which focus on ASEAN, so Southeast Asian consumer stocks. So these had another dull year. So one fund was up 1.4% and the other fund was down 7.4%. And these funds now trade on very modest multiples, valuation multiples, so low teens P.E. ratios for expected earnings growth of mid-teens over the medium term. Just to bring the investor apathy for this region to life, one of their holdings is the convenience chain Philippine 7. So here the nine months profits grew 84%, but the share price only went up 5%. Another one of their holdings, Airports Corporation of Vietnam, was even more extreme. Here, the nine months earnings rose 72%, but the shares fell 22%. So investors in some disconnect. parts of the world, yeah, in some part of the world, investors don't seem to care, but our view is that water is going to find the same level eventually. <laughs> so plenty of value in the portfolio, we think, and forward return expectations in aggregate for the stocks or at a shade lower than this time last year, which is not a surprise given the rally that we've seen in some stocks, but they're still at respectable double-digit levels. And at the same time, we're always looking to upgrade the quality and turn over a lot of stones trying to unearth great businesses in, in, in new verticals. So we look to balance monitoring of existing investments with work streams to find new, new investments. And we continue to be more positive on the diversifying side. So cash and bond rates are more positive than a couple of years ago. And the diversifying strategies that utilize futures and options pick up on these better rates within within their funds as well.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you to both of you. You sound reasonably optimistic. (laughs) Um, If Victor doesn't want to use the word confident, but cautiously optimistic, shall we go with. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We do try and touch on the topics which we think you'll be concerned about or interested in. So please do keep sending any questions that you may have to your client advisors and uh, they will always be happy to discuss anything we speak about in further detail. Uh, Remember, our podcasts are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so if you wish to receive uh, these podcasts as soon as they're released, or listen to some of our other podcasts, please subscribe to our channel on either of those platforms. Uh, Thank you again for listening, and as I said, a very Happy New Year to everybody. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.,